So here we go for part three of our lecture on the story of scripture. I promise to keep this one short for a few reasons. One, I've been like, I've been battling with technology all day. It's not my forte. I got a little overexcited at the beginning because I managed to get everything set up by myself. And then anyway, it's gone downhill from there. So it's getting a little bit late and I'm running out of energy for you, but I keep it, I promise to keep it short for another reason too, which is that um, when you looked at the diagram, hopefully you saw that the, a lot of the heavy lifting is on the left side of the cross. The right side of the cross is a little bit emptier when it comes to events, covenants, and stories, because the right side of the cross is where we live. And the right side of the cross is what we are intended to live out. This story is still being written. It's being written by God, but in and through you and me, even now, even today, even whenever you're listening to this, even tomorrow. So while this may be the shortest lecture, it might, I hope that will also be the richest. Now we left off uh, the previous part in silence. Silence, silence in a question mark. We're still searching for the promised offspring. We're still wondering where he might be. And now we're waiting for God to return, for him to return his people and to return his presence. There's a partial return. A few people come back. They have the place, but Israel is not like what it used to be. They're able to worship God. There's a new temple, but it's nothing like the old one. And so there's a question mark and a waiting. And unfortunately, the waiting will continue and continue because there are 400 years of silence until, until until God shows up in the most unexpected of ways and in an unremarkable town to an unremarkable girl, the angel Gabriel shows up and he says this, greeting, so favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. This is Luke 1, by the way, 28, now we're in 30. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the most high. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. The promised rescuer, the promised Messiah that we've been searching from since Genesis 3. He's finally coming. He is finally here. And Mary said to the angel, how will this, this be since I am a virgin? And the meaning I'm not married. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the most high will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called holy, the son of God and behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who is called barren for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. God unfolds his purpose and his plan in an unremarkable place to an unremarkable person but nothing about his plan was unremarkable. The promised one who would crush the serpent, who came from Israelites, a nation of priests, takes the throne of his father, David, becomes the anointed one and the suffering servant, and in so doing establishes the new covenant. He takes on in his own body the curses. And with his blood, 
not the blood of animals, his own blood, the kingdom and the covenant are established. So we're going to switch over now to my diagram. I don't know if it's helpful for you or not, but I hope that it is at least a little bit helpful to, if nothing else, to get you thinking in a sort of different way than maybe you normally would. And so this is where we left off, right? A lot of writing squeezed in. And then this is where we are going, or at least in part. So from the cross, we see that God came down. What is so important for us to see in the incarnation is this. God took on flesh. We needed a new covenant. And this time, what would be different about it is that the, the person who would, who would make the covenant would be a representative of both God and man. Both God and man. This is why the incarnation is so important. And then as our representative, he was able to die a horrible death and take on the curses and then overcome the curses and ascend to bring back the blessings or to send the gifts, the blessings of the covenant. So there is a new covenant on offer for you. And you, just like Abram in Genesis 15, have to do nothing. Simply accept. Simply believe. Now, all who believe can participate in this covenant and experience all of the blessings of the promise. Now, we are somewhat familiar with this story, aren't we? This, I would hope, I guess, as we're all believers, hopefully we, we can say much of that backwards and forwards and, and with our eyes closed. But one thing that we might not be familiar with or not have thought about is that now all of us who believe through adoption actually become the offspring that was promised to Abraham and really all the way back to Genesis 3. So all who believe are adopted and therefore become sons, and therefore inherit, and therefore become the promised offspring. And what we see in the new creation when we get to Revelation is that offspring will comprise every tongue and every nation. Everything about what it means to be human will be represented in the offspring of God. So Jesus is the promised offspring, and we in him are also the promised offspring. So what was anticipated before is fulfilled now and is being fulfilled and will be fulfilled until we reach the day of new creation. Now, in the midst of this, I already pointed this out when we went through major events, but in the midst of this, there is one big event here. I'll change the color for us that we do tend often to forget about. And that is um, Pentecost. Hopefully for um, any of you who were in uh, men's or women's Bible study in at Eastside last year, you went through Acts. Oh gosh, my handwriting is getting worse. Um, and so you will hopefully remember something about the importance um, and significance of Pentecost. But what happens is this, when 
Jesus ascends, he promises, he says, I'm going away from you, but this is actually going to be better. And it's going to be better because when I ascend, I am able then to, to send back to you the, the blessings of the covenant, specifically the spirit. So specifically the spirit. So when the spirit comes, we all get the benefits of the king, of the new covenant. We get to be adopted. And now we worship in spirit. It's no longer about a specific place like the temple, but the spirit dwells in our hearts. So it's not that worship doesn't have a place. It's that worship has a place in the who. So it's not that the where isn't important. It's that the where is expanding. Do you understand? So there is a place of worship. The place is in the hearts of the people. The place is in the hearts of the people because, because, of the spirit because of the spirit and all of this happens because of pentecost pentecost is the moment when the spirit descends and this new reality begins to um, is initiated begins to take place and now all who believe all who are adopted um, all who call on the name of christ become a place and a people who worship god so we get to take part in the place of the kingdom, God himself dwells in us. But that is not the end of the story because the story, just like creation, is still has potential. It is not full or complete until we reach new creation. It is expanding. So turn to Matthew 28. These are the last words that Matthew records of Jesus. Matthew 28, the great commission verse 18 and jesus came and said to them all authority sounds kind of like dominion there in heaven and on earth has been given to me go therefore and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit teaching them to observe all that i have commanded you and behold i am with you always to the very end of the age i am with you, with you always, to the very end of the age, the very end of the age, God will dwell with his people. However, the story, as I said, is not done. That idea of God dwelling is continuing to be expanded. Jesus takes the creation mandate that we talked about earlier, if you remember, right up here, the creation, oops, wrong thing, the creation mandate about being fruitful and multiplying, filling the earth, having dominion over it, and he um, restates it or renews it and gives us the great commission. It's not different or new exactly, it's just reframed in light of the new covenant. 
because he has done all of those things because he has made it possible, exercised dominion. Now we get to go on his behalf and exercise dominion. So what does that look like though exactly for us? What does dominion look like in a time when the where is less important than the who? Well, it looks like two things, two things in particular. So one aspect of dominion is something that I would imagine, here I'm going to switch back to a different color so it's a little bit um, maybe easier for us to make sense of all of this. Oh, that's not pretty. There we go. Pink. Who doesn't like pink? Um, so one aspect of dominion is sanctification. We exercise dominion by exercising dominion over our own hearts. And I would love to say that that's a one and done, but it's a process that will take us to the end of the age. So we exercise dominion through sanctification, claiming even the dark parts of our heart and bringing them into order. But what does Acts teach us? What does Acts teach us? Turn with me to Acts 1. Acts 1. Luke starts the story in Acts, picking it up um, at the Ascension. Um, the very, so these are Luke's recording of the last words of Jesus. Um, and it says, uh, so he, they're all gathering together. Um, and then here we go, verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? It's a very reasonable question. They want to know, is this it? Is this the moment of new creation? He says, It is not for you to know times or seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria to the end of the earth. And when he had said these things, as they were looking on, he was lifted up in a cloud, took them out of their sight. Now, it's not for you to know, but you will be my witnesses from Jerusalem in Judea and Samaria. Now, if you've studied Acts or you know anything about Israel at the time, Jerusalem was the city, Judea was a region, Samaria was the next region, and then to the ends of the earth. And if you've read Acts, you might remember that it ends in Rome. And it ends in Rome because Rome symbolized for the readers the very end of civilization. It was the heart of civilization, so it was to reach Rome was then to reach the all, all of the world, the seat of all humanity. The mission expands. So the new mission will be all of the earth, where it's no longer about the where, it's about the who. The mission goes to the people at the very ends of the earth until the day that the new Jerusalem will come down. So the people are multiplying. We're expanding the kingdom, expanding the mission. And that work will also continue until the day of new creation. So we exercise dominion by evangelism, expanding the kingdom, and by sanctification, bringing order to our own hearts. I, should, I, I do mean evangelism when I say expanding the kingdom, but I, I guess I want to be careful maybe not to make a one-to-one -one there. Because I think the idea of expanding the kingdom could mean a lot more than um, only sharing the gospel, although it should never mean less than sharing the gospel. 
if you track with me, okay? So expanding the kingdom has, there's a richness and a layeredness to it that's more than simply sharing the gospel, but it can't not include sharing the gospel. So sorry, just a little aside here. My first, you know, eight takes of some of the, of the previous lectures, I probably would have stopped and re-recorded, but at this point it's getting kind of late. So if we had time and we don't really, I would take you through Acts and I would point out the many, many times that, the, that Luke writes this, the church multiplied, the people of God increased, they were fruitful. When God dwells with his people, they're able to do what they were made to do. And what we see in Acts is an expansion, an expansion of the kingdom through the proclamation of the story. So first, the story starts in uh, Jerusalem. Jerusalem is a symbol for where God dwells, a symbol for the hope, and then to Judea, and then to Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. And that, my friends, is the story that we are still writing. Surely, Texas, definitely Richardson, is the ends of the earth. Is it not? Could the disciples ever have conceived of us and what we are doing now and the ways in which we are continuing to expand the kingdom? Here we are. We are writing this story until that day that we will get to the new creation, the new Jerusalem, the place where God will dwell with his people. No more stipulations, no more curses, no more consequences to the place where we will get to see God face to face. And so as much as Revelation can sometimes unnerve me, um, as much as it can also excite me at the same time, I think it's important now for us to read just a little bit um, of what we are, what we are hoping for. We, um, so if you read Revelation um, 21 and 22, it's, it gives us a picture. I know sometimes there's a lot of symbolism and it's a little bit hard to see um, what they're talking about, but this part at least that we'll read, I really recommend that you do try to, um, to, to fill those images in our mind because it is much, much richer than I think what we often think of is like the clouds floating around, you know? Um, so here we are in Revelation 21. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give the spring of water of life without payment." The one who conquers will have this heritage and I will be his God and he will be my son. And it, go on, it goes on to paint this picture and he ends saying um, in verse 20 or 22, 20, he who testifies to these things says, surely I am coming 
soon. Surely, surely I am coming soon. We may drink of this without price for the price has been paid soon and very soon. We will get to see the promises face to face. I think sometimes we can get so caught up in just, you know, the sanctification piece of things, just this one aspect of what it means to exercise dominion and to live into God's plan for us. But look how small this little tiny piece of the story is. Yes, of course. Oh, goodness. Yes, of course we want to be sanctified. Yes, of course we want to bring our hearts um, into order under God. But look at how small this is in the large picture of where we're going, where we've been, and where we are going. We have a much bigger part to play than simply trying to sin less. There is much, much life to live. I believe that when we start to live in the king, when we see the kingdom of God, we live in the kingdom of God. And when we live in the kingdom of God, we operate as kings and queens under the one true God, accomplishing his mission with him, through him, and for him until he comes back. And he will come back. That is our hope. Our hope is not to be sinless now. Our hope is not to achieve things for him. Our hope is to walk with him, to do his work with him, and to enjoy dwelling with him one day face to face. It's my belief that when we see that story, it changes everything. It changes everything. So let me pray for us as we conclude. Father, thank you for um, this time, for these three sections of, of lectures to listen, to ponder, to pray, to hear who you are, and to understand more of your story. God, we love you. We pray that this would be the story that shapes our lives, that it affects every decision that we make, every word that comes out of our mouth, every hope that we have for the future, that it would comfort us when we are struggling, that it would um, give life to us when we need direction and guidance, that you would be with us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. See you next week.